Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 5. Twelfth Flight. The twelfth hole of Hollingbury Golf Course was where they had met with the Crow Council two years before. If the old birds weren't there, then they'd be roosting at the dew pond at the top of Wild Park, and it would not be a good idea to disturb them. But Jenny was sure they'd be on the old, bent hawthorn bush in the middle of the fairway. It was not far up the hill from five ways. After a few minutes, James was lagging behind, hot and sweaty and panting. He finally caught up with Jenny when she stopped a little way up from the twelfth hole. She was looking at the sky. We've still got a little bit of light left, James said, through heavy breaths. I think we're in time. It's not that, she said. Look. James turned and saw a black shape in the sky. A lone crow or a raven. Come on, James said. They pushed the bikes over a little hump and through a shallow ditch. Then they could glide down a grassy bank to cut through to a small path that went straight to the old bush on the twelfth. They arrived just as the old crows took to the air, silhouettes against the last beams of the sun seeping out from under the low cloud in the east and casting a pink shade on an otherwise grey canvas. Jenny called out, Chairman, can we speak? Two wing beats later, one of the larger birds peeled off from the rest and banked back around. It landed on the branch closest to the two children. You two, the crow known as the chairman said. I remember you. Got caught up with all the magpie business a year or two ago, and you are friends of the king. You may speak. Do you know of any big crow or rook or raven that's up to something in town? Jenny asked. We think that a bird stole James's keys and has been following us. We didn't think it would be a crow, but thought you might know more than us. A crow stealing keys, the chairman barked. Not likely. What would it do with them? But a raven, yes, a raven might do exactly that. What would it want with my keys, James said, still a little breathless. That would depend on what you were doing when it took them. I, uh, I was kind of spying through a grate, James said sheepishly. But I didn't know I was spying until I dropped my keys. Spying is not a particularly friendly thing to do, the crow cocked its head to the side. Exactly where were you spying? James got the distinct impression that the bird was learning more from them than they were from it. Could there be any harm in giving it the location? He looked at Jenny. We were at the dome, she said, looking around backstage. Ah, the old stables, the crow nodded its approval. I think your story checks out, as you humans might say. You understand that I don't want to be spreading information about with those that are not involved. But you two are different, and you always seem to know more than humans really should. So you do know the raven, James asked, and why it took my keys. No is a strong word. No of, yes. But as to why it wanted your keys, I could only guess. The bird peered down at the two children, black eyes shining in its dark feathered face. 
as if deciding exactly what to say next. "'The bird is Merlina, powerful and influential in the animal world, and perhaps in the human world too. It is often accompanied by a certain individual.' "'The hooded man,' Jenny said. "'The master, yes. Master in name only. The bird is the one in charge. It has, shall we say, a royal connection.' And I think the reason for its visit this far south is that it also bears a grudge against a certain member of the royal family. That is not my business, however. The intersection between the raven and us crows has been spoken of in the council during our last few meetings. We have come to the conclusion that the raven's business is none of ours. But I saw the raven talking to a rat, Jenny said, outside the pavilion today. The raven's power is not just its own intellect. It has ways and means to persuade others to cooperate in its business. The rats are currently in a state of difficulty, which... At this point, the crow looked almost accusingly at the two children. I believe was partly caused by you two, along with another, last year. Lord Ratzenberg, James said, shaking his head. You said that you could guess why the raven, Merlina, took my keys. If you were spying, the old crow said, then the raven might be worried about what you saw, and who you are. It will try to find out anything it can about you. You must hope that you are insignificant enough for it not to bother with. Now, I have said enough, certainly more than I would ever do with any other human. Let us hope that the raven concludes its business soon and leaves the county for a very long time. Good night. Wait, Jenny said. Just one more thing. The chairman cocked its head, but didn't take off. How can we stop the raven from following us, she said. I don't like it, especially if it's up to no good. The bird did not say anything for such a long time that James almost thought that it had fallen asleep. Finally it spoke. If I wanted to remove that bird from the sky, it said, quietly and seriously, and it is not something that should be done lightly, but if I did, I would employ the services of a raptor of high velocity. It said the last words softly. Which, in Brighton, means Sussex Heights and a peregrine. Now, I really must get to the roost. The big crow took one last look at the children and took off into the night, leaving them standing next to their bikes on the wet grass. Well, that confirms it, James said. A powerful raven with a grudge against a royal, the involvement of Lord Ratzenberg, and the crows minding their own business. We're definitely in the middle of an adventure. And I noticed that the raven didn't follow us here, Jenny said. Let's go back down the hill and check your door. I'll tell my mum I'm eating at yours and see if I can sleep over. I have to be up early-ish tomorrow, though. We've got a family trip to Grand's for breakfast in the morning. They first went to Jenny's to see what her mum thought about a sleepover. It turned out that she wasn't too keen on her daughter disappearing for the night. But she had plenty of sympathy for James so suggested that he stay over at theirs. After that was decided, the two children cycled back to James, 
mostly to check on whether the butter in the lock had been disturbed. To Jenny's clear disappointment and James's slight relief, the butter was undisturbed in the lock. Just to check Jenny's technique, James put his key in ever so carefully and opened the door, then pulled his key out. The butter was gone. That's a great trick, he said. Well, my granddad knows a thing or two about locks and people. James gathered some things, most importantly an old netbook of his father's that he could use to work on the lighting sequence. Then they added a new dab of butter to the lock and rode back up to Jenny's, just in time for dinner. You know, Jenny said playfully, while she locked up the bikes, you never used to be slower than me, and I don't remember you getting so out of breath before. Well, he said, we never used to be in such a hurry all the time. We used to play football every playtime at Balfour, she said. Are you doing any sport at all now? Yeah, he said, a little more defensively than he wanted. I do table tennis every lunch. True, Jenny said, except when you're at Maker Club, which is quite a lot of the time. James didn't say anything. She was right. He was doing a lot of sitting down at computers. Perhaps he'd look into football club. After Christmas, of course. There would probably be one at the new school in Berlin. After dinner, Jenny listened to all of James's ideas about the lighting. Then they both listened to the dance backing music track, while Jenny added a commentary about the accompanying dance moves to give James a better idea of when to use particular lighting effects. In the end, Jenny had a very good idea about how the light sequencing worked in the Raspberry Pi, and James knew more than he ever wanted to know about dancing. They ended up reading through Elf's letter again and re-examining the silver nib. James remembered the connection between the dragon door and the dragon engraving on the nib. He told Jenny, and she immediately had the connection. The Royal Pavilion, she said. I've seen dragons like that inside. Remember our trip in year four? We had to draw them. They're all over the pavilion. You're right. And did you notice what the chairman called the dome? Stables, he said. So we have the dome and the pavilion, and the prince and princess visiting both of these places at the end of the week. Sounds like it's all connected to me. We should check out the pavilion tomorrow, Jenny said, and I still think we should be careful. I want to help Elf as much as you, but we really don't have any idea what's going on yet. James agreed. He didn't really mind not knowing what was going on. They had the silver nib, and they were being chased by a raven and a hooded man. The crow had corroborated it. It shouldn't be long before things started to make sense. The following morning, James was woken by Jenny turning the light on. He rubbed his eyes. It's still dark outside, he said. Surely you don't need to go out already. Not yet, but with three older sisters, you wouldn't believe how long it takes to get ready. There were upsides to being an only child, James thought. An alarm buzzed. Oh no, he said, sitting up quickly. I need to get back home. Some people need to look round our place to see if they want to rent it while we're away. I'd completely forgotten. He gathered his things, said thanks to Jenny's mum, while Jenny unlocked his bike. At least it was downhill all the way to his house. The rain had turned into a cold, fine mist. Surface water from the road sprayed up from the bike's tyres into James's face, 
and he could feel it flicking onto his back. He turned into his road and saw the letting agent waiting by his front door with a young couple. His brakes were wet and he ended up overshooting by two houses and pushing the bike back up. Sorry, he said. I'm James. I've got the keys. We've been waiting for ten minutes, the agent, a middle-aged woman wearing a long mac and a pair of bright red wellies, said. And I have a key, but it's not working. James groaned. The agent had used her key already, so the butter would be gone, and he wouldn't be able to tell if the hooded man had tried to get in. I locked the old lock, he said, unlocking it and cursing himself for not getting there earlier to check the butter. Then he pushed open the door and realised he didn't need the butter to let him know whether the hooded man had tried his key. The door swung back, revealing all his family's coats strewn across the hallway. He trod carefully over them. In the hall, the contents of the cupboard had been scattered to the floor. Same in the kitchen. All the drawers and cupboards, and even the dishwasher, had been emptied out. Yes, James said to himself, the hooded man had most certainly paid him a visit.'